Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. If you are enjoying these episodes, of course, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit the bell so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Today, I'll be talking with former all-star Major League player Shay Hillenbrand. Shay had an amazing career in the big leagues. We're going to talk about his life, his struggles, things that have gone well for him. So hopefully you enjoy this episode with Shay Hillenbrand. Hey, Shay, what's going on, man? Welcome to the channel. How's it going? Everything's great, brother. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm out here in Las Vegas. Now, you're out in Phoenix, Arizona. Is that correct? I am in Queen Creek, right next to Phoenix. Yeah, so we're sharing the same heat. We're just uh, finishing up putting a, building a swimming pool at our house, so the kids are super excited. Awesome. Now, did you grow up in the Phoenix area? No. What happened is I was born at in Mesa, Arizona. Then when I was three months old, my family moved to Southern California. So it was uh, Arcadia, Temple City area. And I spent the first 14 years of my life in California, Southern California. Grew up a diehard Dodger fan, 1980s. Consistency of that is showing up in the third inning, leaving the seventh inning uh, to beat traffic, <laughs> right? And then right. listen to Vince Scully on the radio. So uh, that's what I did. But uh, at 14 years old, my family moved back out here to Arizona uh, in the formative years of my life. And that's kind of like... Uh, the call to action, uh, something that happened, a uh, defining moment in my life that kind of directed me towards the decisions I made uh, as an adult, as I, as I got older, especially in the major leagues. So, and we can touch on that as we go along. But uh, yeah, so I uh, came to Arizona and in high school, I became a, uh, the number one soccer player in Arizona. So I <laughs> no uh, love soccer, but my childhood dream was to play major league baseball. So that's where it was at. Uh, so I had no offers to play baseball anywhere out of high school. Uh, my dream as a kid was to play at Arizona State University. I love the Sun, uh, the Sun Devils. I had uh, ASU shoes, a watch, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I always wanted to play there, but I wasn't good enough. So I walked on local junior college here, Mesa Community College. And the only reason I made the team is because of my work ethic. And I think that's what I was known for when I was playing uh, in the major leagues. It's kind of like a red nose. A uh, hard guy, uh, go out there and work, 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 and drive and have that tenacity to go out there and have success. So in three short years, I medical redshirted one year uh, in junior college with my sophomore year, became the number one baseball player in Arizona. And I attribute that not to being talented, not to being like, oh my gosh, this guy's the best. But I had 28 of the 30 scouts sit at my kitchen table when I was getting drafted, okay. uh, scouted for, for, for my first, or my last year in junior college. And they all said, that I was the only player in Arizona. This is kind of crazy. I was the only player that would run hard, home the first, every single time they saw me. And a lot of people don't take, they take that for granted. Yeah. But you gotta do things, as you know, as you get higher, uh, the competition, competition gets greater, but you have to do things to stand yourself apart. And that's the one thing I took pride in. That, that gave me a chance to get looked at. And then once I got looked at, they kind of liked what they saw, and, and I got drafted by the Red Sox. That's awesome. So, so you're telling me, you, what were you a one or two time All Star? Uh, two time All Star in the big leagues. Yeah. Two time All Star in the big leagues. No scouts are looking at you in high school. Zero. Fast forward two years later, they're all talking to you. So how yeah. how does that happen in a matter of two years? You had you had to have some skill, but what did you do to develop your talent in those two years? 
uh, like I said, I was the first guy there and the okay. last guy, to, guy, last guy to leave every single day. Uh, and that's a decision that you made, right? So, yeah. um, I had, I made a decision. I mean, from such a long time, I said, I'm going to play major league baseball. So when my, my teammates and my friends were partying, I was working. When my, my teammates said it's too hot outside here in Arizona, as you know, in Vegas, <laughs> uh, I was working like, like I lived uh, probably 13 miles from the junior college and in the heat of the summer, uh, when we had time off, I would ride my bicycle to the junior college to go hit in the afternoon, 110 out. So I was training my mindset. And after I'd hit for two hours, my buddies were like, hey, jump in the back of the truck, put your bike in the truck, let's go, you know, do it. And I was like, no, I'm riding my bicycle home. Because I knew that if I did that, I would have a competitive advantage because I wasn't more talented than anybody else. So that's why I like sharing my story because I wasn't a top draft pick. I wasn't the guy that had everything handed to him. I worked my tail off. And I refined it. So I learned how to work really quick, efficiently and effectively. And that's kind of what I do now is I teach players and I teach people how to work. And I think that's the only thing I, I pretty much mastered when I played is like, bro, I know how to work. I know how to put the work in to train that uh, nervous system and then let intuition kick in during the game with the four-step focus formula and, and all that stuff to let your mind work to full its capacity and gain that self-confidence day in and day out through the work, not through the talk or what anybody says. That's awesome, man. That's so, that's so cool. Yeah. Anybody that knows if you're in Vegas, you're in Arizona, I mean, 105 plus probably more closer to 110. And I, I think a lot of kids in Vegas understand that because we always have to go to Phoenix in the summer, right. To compete, even the yeah. tournaments during this summer, Vegas and Arizona are like, and maybe Utah in this area, like the only three, three places that I'm aware of that are even open. California is still on lockdown. Yeah. So going to Phoenix. So, so basically you said you're training your mindset. You're, you're doing the little things that other players aren't willing to do. And you're probably doing that every single day. I'm assuming. Every day, every day. And I, I'm, I'm to the point, I'm 44 years old. Now I have to think about that. Cause I'm getting <laughs> old. Uh, that like, Bro, if I don't ever pick up a baseball bat again in my life, I'm cool. Like, I've swung a baseball bat a million times. And people, like, they take that lightheartedly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, if you really think about that, a million swings, like, that's just, like, what my mind processes. I take 60,000 swings every offseason, training it and ingraining it and doing the same thing over again. I'd be an idiot if I couldn't hit your fastball. Why you're doing what you're doing, right? You have to have that why is strong enough. And that's what I share with people is, like, you know how many times I wanted to give up on my way up to the big leagues and in the big leagues with the, the, the being in the trenches and all the turmoil and all the challenges and like, it just gets sucky, man. But you have to have a why strong enough to keep you through all that to persevere. Yeah. So now, so tell me about, you get drafted, right? Who do you get drafted by and what's that whole process like for you? It was, uh, it was pretty funny because I got drafted by the Red Sox in the 10th round. I was okay. supposed to go in the top three rounds, four rounds, but I dislocated my left shoulder uh, last play, last game of the season in junior college, and okay. I slipped to, you know, 10th round or whatever. And, and then uh, when I got drafted, like I said, growing up a diehard Dodger fan in L.A., I told all my friends and family that I got drafted by the White Sox. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, you got drafted by the Red Sox. Like, like, like the most prestigious team, you know, like 100 right. years. Around. And I'm like, well, for one, I grew up a Dodger fan. I don't know anything outside of, of uh, baseball, Chavez <laughs> Ravine in L.A. And for yeah. two, 
I always said this for two, I don't care what socks it is. I'm going to the big leagues. Right. So that was the process. Uh, with the signing bonus, I, I got $25,000. My dad was pretty pissed off about that, frustrated. And then through that process, I went and turned to my dad and said, I don't care about the signing bonus. I'll make my money in the big leagues. It's, it's interesting you say that because now as a scout, when I'm talking to players that might not fit that category, like a great example is this year, the top, we have five rounds, right? And so yeah. if you're not a top five round pick this year, you're kind of crap out of luck in a way. And then after that, the sixth round, there was no sixth round and beyond. So now you're talking about 20 grand, right? So basically what you're signing for and, mm -hmm. and a lot of those kids fell into that category. So that some of them had to make a decision on, okay, I guess I'm just going to go back to school and maybe, you know, next year it might be 20 rounds. And, but you, it sounds like you, your mindset of, it doesn't matter what I'm paid. Like I'm going to make my money in the big leagues. So what was your minor league career like? I spent five years in the minor leagues and uh, I got drafted as a shortstop. I was the number one shortstop in Arizona at the junior college level. Uh -huh. And uh, my first 10 games of pro ball, I uh, went to half season A ball in Lowell, Massachusetts. Uh, with the Red Sox, and I made 14 errors in my first 10 games at short. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> and it just, just struggled, struggled. And the manager came up to me and he said, hey, dude, you like, you want to switch positions because like it's not working for you. I'm like, yeah, man, I got to compete against these Latin guys, but I'm not going to complain. I'd be like, dude, like, can you move me? But I yeah. was raking, man. I, I led the team. I got player of the year that year. Uh, they switched me to first base and third base. Um, second season I played, uh, I, I split level between uh, low A and high A. Uh, and then uh, got player of the year again, and then they switched me to catching. So I went to Australia, learned how to catch. Uh, I did whatever I needed to do to get to the big leagues. So fast forward, I was uh, player of the year three of the five years in the minor leagues. I'm going to big league camp uh, as a catcher, and I thought I was going to be the triple-A catcher, starting catcher. Okay. Long story short, I had a really good spring training, uh, things aligned, all that stuff, and I become the starting third baseman for the Red Sox in opening day. And that yeah. was pretty intense <laughs> because, like I said, you just put your nose down, you go out there and you focus on what you can focus on and kind of force people. I always forced organizations to play me because of my preparation and the success and how I performed in the field was a byproduct of that preparation. So a lot of people took that preparation lightheartedly and I just like, I, I was obsessed. Did you see during, during the time of your minor leagues, did you see a lot of different I guess you could say work ethics. Some were good, some were bad. Did you see a big discrepancy there? Huge, huge. A lot of guys went in there. Like, like I didn't play card and hang out. A lot of guys missed the clubhouse after uh, that I've been since out of the game. And I never, I never really cared about that. I never really, I was, I was so set apart with the way I thought, uh, meaning that I told myself a story at 14 years old that when my family moved from Arizona, excuse me, California to Arizona, that uh, my dad uprooted our family, like between uh, ninth grade and my 10th grade year, like yeah. formative years. And the story I told myself is <laughs> I'm not good enough, my dad doesn't love me, and I'm not lovable. And that's when I became an overachiever just to get my father's approval. So what drove me to the top was a very, very toxic wife. And a lot of people don't realize, like after you get drafted, after you start playing uh, professional baseball in the minor leagues is that uh, you become disconnected. A lot of people become disconnected from who they are because the pressure becomes so great. Yeah. And then when pressure becomes so great, you lose yourself. And then you begin, I, like, I started playing the pain-driven game. And I didn't care. I was like, I need to get there. I don't got time to mess around. 
And it was crazy because uh, I then didn't really mesh too well in the clubhouse. Uh, I was that crazy guy, that guy that's like, dude, what's up with Shay? And I'm like, dude, I'm going to crush tonight. I don't got time to hang out because dude, the, the environment and the minor leagues suck. Riding buses, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, making no money. Like my first year playing, I made $600 a month. Half that went through room and board. You know what I mean? I'm about making yeah. 300 bucks a month. Like, like we know how that is. It's just like, dude, I need to get there because I need to prove something and try to fill that void inside myself to uh, get rid of that pain. So when I made it to the major leagues, like all I was trying to do is uh, get approval for my father. And that's it. And I never got that. So it was very challenging for me along the way. Yeah, you mentioned that you 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 were kind of playing for a toxic why. So that was that was mainly trying to please your father. Tell us more about that. See, what happens is like your story. So I help people rewrite their story uh, because like your 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 story, your gifts and your talents get locked up in the story that you tell yourself on a daily basis, right? We all know that sixty thousand thoughts go through your mind on a daily basis, forty eight thousand on average. Are negative in your subconscious system so when you go into experiences especially when you're younger and if you have a younger audience this is really really good for them to hear because uh especially before seven years old your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed you're processing your reasoning and understanding situations you really don't have a full understanding of how things happen so i would go into situations with my father experiences and they're, they're kind of like ah, ah, blown up ah, because he went through kind of like generational curse and how I interpreted those experiences and communicated that experience to myself ingrained my belief system. So when my father sent me to my room because I did something wrong or I wasn't able to handle my emotions, I wouldn't sit there and pout. I would say, I'm going to freaking prove it to him. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to I'm go out there and I'm going to show him what I'm really about. So as I went along, uh, that formed my why. See, what happens is like what, one step of the program that I teach is like you have to be able to figure out your why for what you do it. So many guys play baseball to get to the big leagues. Like, I want to just get to the big leagues. Your why has to be greater than you. And so many guys don't get that correctly because it's so hard to get there, right? There's 3 million youth baseball players, you know, yada, 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 20,000 people of all time. And you're just like, I just, I'm, I'm just right there. I'm almost there to get that. I want to get there. And then once you get there, it's like, this is how it really is? This is what it's like, you know. What I mean? So it's a, it's a challenge. Not to say it's not any different than the minor leagues. You just get paid a lot of money, and yeah. you get to you know different. But it's still the same challenges. Yeah. So what happened with me is that those stories that I told myself was just super super toxic, and uh, the experiences, interpretation of the experiences, how I communicated communicated to myself, and then that ingrained my belief system. And your belief system determines how the decisions you make in future interactions and experiences with people. So I get in authoritative situations with coaches, with managers, all that stuff, and I go off because that's my father. That's my father. That's my father. And I quickly became the guy like, what's wrong with Hillenberg? This guy's insane. Like, I got kicked off my junior high team. I got kicked off my high school team. I got kicked off my college, junior college team. I got in fights with managers all along. Like, dude, how I made it, I have no clue. I must have been pretty good. I didn't think I was good, but <laughs> to go through and navigate through what I went through, yeah. it's pretty insane. But what happens is after seven memorable years in the major leagues, two-time All-Star, three home runs in one game, I hit a game-winning home run off Mariano Rivera, mm. the first Red Sox player to do that at Fenway, uh, perfect, like yada, yada, like numerous, making $20 million. Like my pain got so deep and severe that I became numb to everybody and everyone around me and everything around me. And I just couldn't, I just became like just, 
Like, I got in a fight with John Gibbons in the clubhouse in Toronto. Uh, I called uh, Theo Epstein, the expletives on the radio. I'm like, I did thing after thing after thing, but that wasn't me. Those are like flaws in my character that I struggle with, and I disconnected from who I was instead of just trying to address those character yeah. flaws, but I okay. didn't know how to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So from there, yeah. like, I'm sitting on my couch at uh, to my seventh and eighth year in the major leagues. And I'm having my, I'm holding my firstborn son in my arms. Okay. And I have three adopted children, beautiful children. Okay. He's 18 months. I'm having a father-son moment with my son in my arms on the couch. I'm gazing into his eyes. I'm like, man, he's gonna have a bright future. This is like my greatest accomplishment of having a kid. Like I've always wanted to have a son. And I'm just like so proud of him. And I wanted to just convey my pure, unconditional love for him. And I couldn't. All I can connect to is that pain that was driving me to what I was doing. So here I am having more success than I've ever imagined on top of the world with my son in my arms. Like I said, I became numb to everything and everyone around me, and I made a decision right there at 32 years old in the prime of my Major League Baseball career. Like, I left potentially $50 million of potential earnings on the table. I made a decision right there. I quit. I walked away. I walked away from that one childhood dream I worked so hard for my whole life. The one thing that, like I told you, that everybody else is chilling whenever they're hurt. I was working and driving and doing it. I just, I, I lost. I, I just, and I convinced myself that if I just come home to be a father to my three beautiful children and pursue my second dream mm -hmm. of owning a zoo, everything would be great. Yes, you heard that correctly. A zoo. What major league? What major league baseball player does that? I think I'm the only guy in the history of baseball. I left baseball in the prime of my career, and I went and bought a zoo. Are you the next Tiger King? <laughs> I'm, I'm the original Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> I had 300 farm and exotic animals, camels, kangaroos, llamas, alpacas, monkeys, raccoons, everything under the moon. Like, I was known as Dr. Doolittle, the zookeeper. No and, kidding. Uh, and through that process, uh, I was rescuing animals, helping kids in the inner city, disabled kids, child crisis kids. But that pain came with me. So after four years of owning that, I came down the stairs of my house with my hands and my face, my, my face in my hands. I was like, what's the purpose of life? Like, I'm done. I had just received the third foreclosure notice on my farm. I lost my 15 year marriage. Like my, my kids, all my money I played made, made playing baseball, like all of it's gone. Wow. And I lost everything. And it was, it was crazy. So I've been through this whole process of a transformation, uh, going on top, down the bottom. Now figuring out my life and how things happened and how I made it through. Yeah. I'm one of the very fortunate guys that made it through that uh, crummy part of my life. That's that's amazing. So you, you had a zoo. Um, so you, you said you lost your, your first marriage. Um, did you say you had some kids in there? Like adopted three adopted kids? children. Three yeah. adopted children. And, and those are still children are part of your life now as well? Yep, they're 15, 14, 15, 13, 13. And my, my wife now, she has two daughters, beautiful daughters, and they're eight and seven. So we have like a Brady Bunch blended family. Yeah. Like, a, you know, I have five kids. So okay. uh, I thought hitting a baseball is hard. You know, these kids are making my hair go on. Like, it's hard to raise kids. <laughs> Welcome to the club, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I got four myself, so I, I know exactly what that's all about. Yeah. 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 So you would mention, um, so let's talk about your big league career, because um, you play with a couple different teams. And in doing my research, you brought up uh, John Gibbons, who I actually – I was with the Blue Jays for one year. Um, it was a very short stint. Um, what year? Oh, geez, that was uh, 2005, I think. 2005. I was there in five. I was, in, I was there in five and six. 
uh, maybe it was six for me. I, I was in Syracuse most of the year. Um, maybe it was seven. Did you come up towards the end of the year? No, I came up real early at the beginning of the okay. year. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, but you, you, so you mentioned, I guess I want to talk more about this, your relationship with your father, um, an authority figure, and then talking with a manager like a John Gibbons, you said there, there are some scuffles there. Tell us more about that. What was, what do you feel went on there? It's cool. Cause like I said before, like that, that, that Shea Helen brand's like a character now. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool. Like there's so many times, so much time lapsed after that to where I couldn't talk about it because I was so ashamed. I was embarrassed and I couldn't figure out why uh, I would even ascertain putting myself in a position like that uh, to even to do the things that I did. I could sit here all day and there's there's so much time after that fact where I, I defended myself and I tried to say, hey, uh, plead my case and get people to like me, but the actions that I took, like I literally almost got into a fight with John Gibbons in the clubhouse. Uh, and that was like the, the end of, of, of that, uh, my, my stint in Toronto. I just came off an all-star year there. Uh, I was hitting like, man, up until that June, I was hitting like 395, like first or second in the league. Like rocking and rolling, and it's just like that story that I tell myself is that you know I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, and my dad doesn't love me. So I couldn't understand, and I'm like, don't you guys see what I'm doing here? Like even when I got traded from Boston to Arizona, like I loved Boston, I bled Boston, uh, like Red Sox, like like I came up the organization, and I was an all star for them, and like I had so much was like family. Then I get traded, I'm like, oh my gosh. I felt like that scab ripping open again every single time that that happened when I was 14 years old and my dad uprooted my family from California to Arizona. So uh, it was my free agent year in Toronto, and uh, it's, it's stupid because John, like, there's no reason or why or understanding to justify the actions I took because John Gibbons is like probably the best player's manager to play for. But I was so messed up inside. I was so disconnected from who I was. And the only place I felt at home, the only place I felt good about myself was either in the batting cage training or on the field in the batter's box. Like, like that's the only place I found solitude because I would implement a four-step focus formula. If I do step one, two, three, four, step one, two, three, four, I can achieve the result I'm trying to achieve because your, your mind has to have specific focus on what you're working on to have pure consciousness and ingrain what you're doing in your nervous system to be able to master the skill sets you're doing. And if your mindset is generalized, your thoughts are generalized, it causes confusion. And the byproduct of that, fear creeps in. And then the byproduct of that is no self-confidence. I got this stuff down to the T. Like I know this stuff and I train this stuff, but I couldn't communicate. Yeah. Like I could step to the plate on the field. Like when I played, uh, I was, had the third highest acting, active batting average in Yankee Stadium behind Paul Konerko, Ichiro Suzuki, Shea Olenbrand. I raked in Yankee Stadium. Like rocked it, man. Like my batting <laughs> was insane. But I would go out after the game at night and I would be at a five-star restaurant celebrating because I'm on ESPN with highlights and I couldn't get up from my table to walk across the restaurant to use the restroom in fear of people staring at me because I had no self-confidence. And that self-confidence, no lack of self-confidence came of telling you the story I would tell myself. So I'd always just, I, I just question your listeners and your viewers, what's the story that you tell yourself mm -hmm. currently? Like what, what happens? What is it like? What are you going through, right? So, so it led to the point to where uh, in, in Toronto that it just, it just blew up. Like, I couldn't take it anymore. My perception of who I was and what I was doing wasn't lining up with the opportunities that they gave me. And my perception of how, who John Gibbons was 
was was negative because just the situation and the position he was in as an authoritative figure. Him, J.P. Ricciardi, uh, Alex Anthopoulos, like goes down the line. Like my perception of those guys, like I can't stand those guys. But it wasn't had nothing to do with them. It had right. everything to do with my father and who I was and what I thought and how I operated. It, it just, it's super toxic. And then it goes to the point to where when I left Toronto, I get picked up by San Francisco because Steve Finley goes in the dug in the clubhouse after the game, and it's all over ESPN. Shea Hillenbrand gets in a fight with John Gibbons. Like it's on everywhere. Like it's just like nonstop. Like that just crushed me. Like it's just like I'm just like a hurt little boy, like just yeah. screaming for help. So yeah. I go to San Francisco because Steve Finley just played with me in Arizona. Like, dude, Shea's not like that, but we need him. I finish up there but I disconnected from who I was when I had those incidences as Major League Baseball career went on, instead of just trying to address my, 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 uh, my character. Next year, I end up in uh, Anaheim. I, I, I told this earlier to somebody else that I was on a, I had a 3-1 count against a left-handed pitcher. He'd throw me an 87-mile-an-hour four-seamer away, and a three like that's my bread and butter. Like That's where I made all my money. And I get a jam shot, 3-1 count, with a guy in scoring position, and, and goes right back to the pitcher. After the game, Mike Sosha calls me. He's like, what the heck's going on, man? Like, we didn't pay you to do this. You're better than this. And I seriously told him, I said, I have no clue what's going on. If I knew what's going on, I wouldn't be doing it. So that falls parlays into what you do and how important what you do with, with getting people to understand their mindset and putting them in a the position to be able to go out there and have consistent success but find fulfillment through the process. So let's talk about that. If you would have had, in that instance, Sosha's talking to you, What's going on? What's happening? Do you wish at that point you had someone like they all these teams now, they have a skills coach to talk to? Would, would you have been open to go talk to that guy or girl? No? And why is that? I didn't talk to nobody. Yeah. Just I, didn't bottle it up. Hitting, I didn't use a hitting coach. I didn't use a manager. I didn't use a coach. Uh, I would talk to very few players. Uh, I wasn't approachable. Okay. Because, like I said, like, I was so disconnected, and I hurt so bad, and I tried so hard. Like, how do you process that? I'd have little girls in the stands holding up signs saying, Marie Barry Michelle. Yeah. Like, I would do autograph signings for $10,000 an hour at furniture stores or, or venues, and little girls, teenage girls would come to the table crying and shaking just because they got to meet me and be in my presence. Mm. Kind of like if I was Justin Bieber. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't even process that. But what they didn't see is that deep, deep pain resonating inside of me, fueling that pain-driven game. So it's like when you get to that point, it's just like you don't know what to do. I need someone who's passionate. I need someone who's like, dude, I understand it. I need someone who's authentic. I need someone who's been there through that. That's who I resonate with, and that's why I have so much passion for what I do. The stuff that I know now with I have a four-step program to be able to discover and tell your story. Uh, because you can, you can monetize your story, create your brand, your brand and your message comes off your story of who you are. And so many men, especially athletes, baseball players, don't want to go there to figure out their story and show vulnerable parts of their story yeah. and fear of perception of the public. So I teach that and I teach the five-tool player profile system. And with those, if I had that, if I had what I know now, I would have paid a million dollars for it when I played. Like God's honest truth, I would have dropped a check. Dude, here's a million dollars. This is what this teach me what you know because I could have made fifty million more. Right, right. But yeah. I what I needed wasn't performance wise, and that's where I kind of struggles because a lot of those uh, uh, resources from the mental side were for the performance aspect. 
like I had a, you know, I'm not going to go there with how I paid my sports psychologist from the team I played on, but uh, uh, like I didn't need the performance side because I could perform. You were good I needed, I needed like identity side. I needed like, why am I doing? Why am I feeling? Why am I experiencing those things that I'm experiencing? What I realized, I went on a 12 year journey after baseball because I had nothing else to do. And through that process of a 12 year journey, I found myself on the floor of a van. And after overdosing on drugs and alcohol, here lies a guy that so many people envy. And as the soul's leaving the top of my head and I'm clinging onto my last breath, the thoughts going through my mind at that time, six years ago, was you're a failure. You lost everything. What would your parents think if you lost, if you, if you left this world today? Could a dad would do this to his kids? Mm -hmm. My answer to that, I don't know, because I'm nothing if I don't have baseball. And that's what the struggle is, is that becomes our identity. Like we, we need to be able to teach these guys how to leverage the platform that they have to create a brand so they can have likeness awareness to monetize that in the transition into life after baseball. But what happens, we all fall victim to allowing baseball to become our identity. And when that becomes your identity, it's so much like service people, veterans that come back from overseas, yeah. when they get back more, like it's just like they're gone. Like yeah. I did a podcast last night with a veteran and, and they, the people are blowing their heads off. Like yeah. I played with three guys that went through the same thing I went through, major league baseball players that committed suicide. Like this is the real thing. So the reason why I'm passionate is because I was one breath away from losing my life. And by the grace of God, I made it through. And he brought my wife into my life after that situation. And she's the first person to love me unconditionally and believe in me and hold me accountable. So I needed that person to be there and push me and push me to figure it out. And it took me 12 years. And I got 12 years of experience after baseball to figure out, dude, this is your story. This is why you do what you do. This is what creates your belief system. This is what drives you to make the decisions you make. This is how you get self-confidence. This is how you can perform in the field. This is how you can perform. Like, like, I understand that stuff. I never thought in my wildest dreams, brother, that I'd be doing this. Like, I was the last person. Just Google my name. I got a video. I got a picture on the internet, and it kills me. I'm okay with it now, but it kills me because if you Google Shea Hillenbrand images, I'm sure people are going to do it. There's a picture of me, a profile picture of me in a dugout, and it says, do not watch. And when I saw that, I was like, gosh, that kills me. Mm. And that was my character. But my character was, that's not Shea Hillenbrand. This is Shea Hillenbrand. Like I got passion. I want to help people. I want to inspire people. I want to motivate people. I want to teach people. I'll, especially right now with COVID and everything going on. Like so many people losing their jobs. So many people talking about, you know, mental health problems right now. Like I'm spreading my message as much as possible. So I super appreciate. I'm honored to have this opportunity to spread it on your, on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, so you have a system. Is there a place where people can go to take a look Just at DM me? DM me. DM okay. me. I'm, I, I, I'm on Facebook, Shay yeah. Hillenbrand. And then uh, Instagram, uh, Shay underscore Hillenbrand. I'm right there right now because uh, I do real estate full time. I don't do this full time. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a licensed real estate agent here. And I got a real estate team that I'm coaching and leading and, and doing all that stuff with. But this is what I'm going to transition to because my purpose is way greater than just doing real estate and providing for my family. But what I want to make very clear is that once I figured out my story and what led me to where I was, you can connect with your true identity of who you are. And when you stand in your true identity, you stand into the fullest version of yourself. And then that's where you're going to discover your gifts, your true gifts that you've been given. And I believe that we've all been given a gift to be able to solve other people's problems and be able to utilize your gift 
to solve someone else's problem, there's no greater feeling, brother. I'm telling you, I've been on, I've been on the field. I've been in private jets, mansions, six cars, uh, 300 pairs of shoes. I think I've done it all, man. I've lived both my dreams. And there's no greater feeling than standing in who you are and utilizing your gift just to make an impact. So that's, that's kind of like my mission. I created an apparel line. It's two Vs. It's voice to the voiceless. I want to bring people, I want to use my voice to help other people find their voice. And that's through just rewriting your story. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's, and say that again, it was the, the voices to the voices? Voice to the voiceless. Two Vs apparel. To the voiceless. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so, so we do like a lifestyle apparel company. It's kind of like a movement. Of, yeah. I got, a, I, got a, I got a shirt that says, I'll conquer from within, uh, stuff like that to be able to help. But, but my vision is being able to help Major League Baseball players. My vision is to be able to help these guys on these platforms to be able to, to like figure out who they are. Yeah. Like so many of us don't know who we are. We're like, I can hit, I can feel, I can go out there, I can perform, but I didn't know who I was. And I've talked to a, a tremendous amount of players since that don't know who they are, is to get players to know who they are. And then in that position, to find what their true skills and, and gifts are and utilize their individual platform to be able to spread their own message, to make an impact for, for everybody else out there so we could do like a ripple effect. There you go. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. When you, when you put your whole I guess mindset and lifestyle into baseball, right? And that's taken away from you a week later. Like now, who am I? Right? What What do I do? And that's I think that's a huge issue with guys that you know. Hundreds of guys are getting released every year, right? Thousands of ball players. They're going through these hard times. And I know personally for me, when when you finally said like you were looking into your baby's eyes, like I'm done. Like this is it. Like that. That's a whole story in and of itself. Of what makes it finally that decision and you you know when you have kids it's a whole different ball game whether than some some guys will end their game their life in regards to baseball make 24 25 26 they don't have a family or kids yet mm -hmm. right but now when you get into the those 30s and you have kids you're like now they're they're such a huge part of everything you do of every decision you make you know then that that's what happened for me personally too is i was about 30 got released by the angels, had some injuries I was going through. And finally at that point, I, I think my wife was, we were having our fourth kid and there, there was just something that clicked and you're just like, that's it. You know, like I'm done. You know, I, I got to stay home and be with my kids now. And I don't know about you, but I felt like I was, it was so about me right through those times where did you feel that way as well? Right before they, everything's about you. The, the game makes it that way. The game demands yeah. it that way. Organizations demand that because without you, you ain't got a job, right? Yeah. So now it, it, you think it's all about you. You think it's everything's revolving around you. And that's where guys struggles because we're used to a team environment. We're used to having trainers. We're used to have clubhouse guys. We're used to having coaches. We're used to having resources, front office people, all that stuff to be able to, to, to navigate what you're going through. But once you leave the game, that all gets stripped of you. And so many guys don't have a team outside of the game. And yeah. we've been trained to be in a team environment. So me, me, I, I try to do everything on my own. That's why I lost everything because <laughs> I try to do it on my own. But yeah. when that identity gets stripped of me, like, like one day I'm at my locker and the, the bench coach comes over and he says, hey, the skipper needs to see you. And instantly my stomach drops and I feel like I got kicked in the face because the skipper never calls me into the office to tell me I'm doing something good. And as I'm sitting over across from the manager's desk, fear is pulsating through my veins. And he proceeds to tell me, hey, we like you around here. 
with your lack of production, your numbers, we don't have a spot for you in the roster anymore. We're going to have to let you go. I'm sorry. That's just the name of the game. That's yeah. the nature of the beast because that's just how it is. So the media is surrounding me in my locker and I find myself in a haze because I have no zero clue I'm going to navigate the upcoming days. Like I have no clue what's going on because if I don't have Major League Baseball, I'm nothing. And when you lose the game, your mind gets twisted for most guys. And you, when your mind gets twisted, you live in the past. The thing that I struggle with is I left the game and I was perfectly healthy. I left at 32. I knew I could have played till I was 40. So that's why, like, I that's what I struggle with is like I could still play. Yeah. But I couldn't play the internal game. <laughs> I couldn't figure that out because I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't find fulfillment anywhere. I was I was making three hundred forty-five thousand dollars every two weeks after taxes. You know, and it's like like nothing. Like it's just like it's just nonsense stuff. And all I want to do is just find fulfillment and happiness, just like everybody else. So that transition is super super difficult. So many guys go into this lulled phase after baseball, be it a year, two years, three years. I talked to a guy the other day. He's in his second year of nothingness. And I'm trying to do everything I can to create systems and support groups and understanding for these guys to cut down that curve of that lag time because, like you said, this one gentleman, this one guy, young guy, he has a wife and two kids that are relying on him, and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And it sucks. It's yeah. just a bunch of nothingness. I went through seven years of that because I had some money. It sucks. I sat parked. And I didn't want to do anything. And here's a guy that worked his tail off, swung about a million times, <laughs> had all the success, all this drive, and I sat there just numb and nothingness. And no one could help me. I didn't want anybody to help me. And that's what sucks, dude, because we so much of us go through that because of that identity piece of baseball. What do you think, looking back, someone else is going through what you just went through right now today. What, what, advi yeah, what advice would you have to, because that's probably the hardest part is number one, admitting it, having that awareness to, hey, I, I need, like, I need some help or I need to just to work on something. What was it for you that finally just opened up and I guess was vulnerable enough to admit that? I well, for one, I had no choice, Matt. Like I said, I was one breath away from dying. Yeah. And for two, uh, by the grace of God, like I said, he brought my wife to someone else to be able to help me recreate. Bro, I had to recreate a whole belief system. You know how hard that is for a, for a 35 to 40 year old man to recreate your whole belief system? Yeah. Like after 35, men won't change at all. We got pride, we got ego, <laughs> we got godness, you know, that's how it is. And it's just like, it's craziness of what happens. So the first thing is that I had to realize that I, I'm a person that played Major League Baseball. And that's the first thing I said, dude, you're a person that plays Major League Baseball. And we get, let me help you work on the person. And you can let the organization, you can let you know, guys like you or whatever uh, that help with the mental side work on the baseball player. Let me help you with the person. And the way we can do that is my vulnerability. For me to be able to discover my story, to understand my story, I'm pretty proud about my story because I won an Emmy Award for my story uh, in, a, in a film festival. And like discovering that, vulnerability is the new power. And if it's so hard to open up, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is to ask for help yeah. because I'm God. I do everything, right? So I think being able to, uh, I'm reaching guys with video, I'm reaching guys with content, I'm reaching guys with all this rawness and realness of what I went through. Like I, I, I could say, say it out of the T of how guys cheat on their wives on the road. I could tell you exactly how white guys do so many different things because I experienced all that and I created a system with the understanding of how a human works and the mind works and how fulfillment's needed and six human needs and all that different stuff. And once I understood 
the process of how things work with the mind and how we function as people. Now I put the pieces together. That, okay, when I did this, this has happened. When I did this, this is why I did this. And it's just an instant breakthrough in my life, like defining moments to be, to be able to understand like what the reasons why I did what I did. So I take pride in doing that and helping guys understand like, okay, this is the story you're telling yourself right now. Let's, let's reverse engineer it and figure out why you've told yourself this story. I was always the best in elementary school. I was always the best in junior high, high school, junior college. When you're the best, you act and you get treated differently. Yeah. You don't have to work in, in different skills. And if you trained up for baseball, like all I had to do is learn how to hit. All I had to do is hit. Just hit. Just hit. Come through. <laughs> prepare. Hit. You know what I mean? So uh, that's the biggest challenge is guys don't know who they are. They don't even know what they like. They don't even know what they do. They can't even have a relationship with their wife. They're disconnected from themselves. How can you expect players, me, how can you expect me, I'm so disconnected from myself and my soul, to come home and, and be connected and provide for my wife and provide for my kids? I can't do that. I'm not, it's not physically, humanistically possible to be able to do that. It's fake. So until I found out who I was and what I do, uh, that's where it was at. And super vulnerable. I don't know if you get many Major League Baseball players that will share uh, that stuff that, that, that they've been through like I've been through. Uh, but I find it empowering because I know my message is going to reach guys. And I know what I've done and what I've gone through, ton of mistakes. Like you said with the John Gibbons, stuff like that, to where that's going to be able to uh, help guys out. And I teach it. I think of them as learning lessons now. Okay, mm -hmm. I did this. What did I have to do afterwards to navigate to get out of that? And to, to, for me to find fulfillment. Because I felt like garbage after I would do each one of those incidents. People don't realize that. Like, I felt horrible i couldn't sleep for weeks <laughs> because of the things i did because that's not me and i couldn't figure it out and like oh my gosh the only thing i could do is hit a baseball and if i lose that what am i going to do like i'm not going to have any purpose i'm not going to be able to i don't even know how to wake up so it's, <laughs> it's challenging you know you got that 6 a.m flight to get to or something like that after the after game or <laughs> it didn't matter you know what yeah. i mean like all i needed was like a half percent of a chance to do something like, like that's how I got with that's how I ended up with my wife. I had a half percent of chance, but bro, I, I closed the deal. Like I'm a good salesperson. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. That's awesome. So now you, how long have you been doing real estate? I'm in my third year now. And uh, the reason why I got into real estate is because I love helping people achieve their goals and their dreams. Like I told you, I achieved both my childhood dreams of playing major league baseball and owning a zoo. And I have kind of a, a system to help people uh, achieve their dream. And what I find great, uh, great gratitude in with real estate is everybody's dealing with real estate. And what better way to help people reach their goals and their dreams than through real estate? I mean, I could go under a bridge and talk to a bum and try to pour and speak life into him. And that dude is trying to get into a house. So you can always talk about real estate. And there's no better way to, to create great wealth than through real estate. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, I'm, I'm certainly rooting for you. I, I love your passion about all this. It's great. I, and I, I agree. You know, we got to find what our story is, what we're all about. Uh, was God a big factor for this for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely believe, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. And uh, the thing, I'm glad you asked that question because not many people ask that question because it's kind of like whatever. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go the spiritual route. But when I lost everything, I lost my farm, I lost my family. Uh, when I was playing Major League Baseball, I get 500 texts. Uh, on my birthday at that time when I lost everything I got two texts and not even one from my family and it just sucked 
And, and I was like, man, I got to find fulfillment. I got to find, like, I'm trying to find a balance between a mind, body, and spirit. And I've never done that before. All I've ever done is play baseball. So I started going to church. I started going to church like three, four, five times a week. And I started speaking in schools and churches and prisons. And whenever I get out of the pulpit, uh, people would say, man, your story and your passion just impacted and changed my life. But I'd go home at night after that. And I'm like, man, I'm operating at like 50, 60% of who I am. And I still had that pain inside of me. Even when I was at church, even if I was in those environments doing that, like I couldn't get rid of that pain that I was harboring in my belief system. So what I realized is even the spiritual root, even church was putting a bandaid on the wound of that pain. And that's what led me to that night in the van. Man, six years ago, I was living in the van, like pretty much down by the river. But I would strange up change out of the cup holder of my van to try to feed my kids little Caesar's pizza. Talking about humiliating. And my kids are going to school telling their friends, oh, my dad played for the Diamondbacks. And here I am, I can't even feed my kids. I can't even function. I just wanted to die. Yeah. So what I realized through that process is that I felt like I was that prostitute. I felt like I was that kid that was molested and no no correlation at all. But, but uh, I felt like I was that person that was going into church and my belief system, my will, uh, my makeup of who I am was so jammed up with my story and who I was that I even God couldn't even come into my life. Even None of that could even affect because my will and, and who I'm responsible for didn't line up because the only thing God has no control over is our mind, right? So my favorite verse is, do not conform yourself to the world, but transform yourself by the renewal of your mind. It's all in your mind and what you do. And that's what's so awesome what you do is because it's so integral to be able to help people out with that process. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a huge believer that he's a big part of this, you know, and 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 kind of can help you realize like I can only do so much, right? He he's gonna take take the rest of it for me, take that pain, and I think that's also a process, right? It, it takes some time to just kind of give it to him, and and then you move on from there, and you then you just take it day to day, right? And you just go with that. Um, but man, dude, this is this has been an amazing story. Talk about going through some pain. You've been all the way to the top, been all the way to the bottom. Now you're doing awesome. You know, you're, you're back at it. You're helping kids out. So I just want to make sure that, you know, any, I want to give you the last kind of the last word on anything else that you want to give to our audience. Um, any other advice, say for high school kids or college kids? Check it out. Like, I just want to share one story real quick. If you don't yeah. mind. 2005, I'm in the all-star game. I'm representing the Blue Jays. And, I'm walking out of the dugout steps before the all-star break in Boston at Fenway before BP. Mm -hmm. John Gibbons calls me over. Hey, I got to talk to you. And this is like the year before it all went down. I'm like, gosh, what do I do now? Can't you just let me hit? I'm back in Boston, man. Like, I'm going to get crushed by the fans here. What are you doing, man? Like, all this stuff's going through my mind. And he had the goal to be able to be a leader and reach out his hand to me since congratulations to me at the all-star team. And I was like, what? Like, I was voted in, like, one of the last guys for the All-Star game by the players. Okay. Like, that's how much respect I had from the players. I was so pissed off that I made the All-Star team because I wanted to go home. Like, I wanted to be home because that was my safe place. That's how disconnected and misconstrued my mind was at the process of time. And this is so many major leaguers go through this, but they won't. They, they disconnect from it. So they can't articulate it. I couldn't articulate it at the time, but I had to reverse engineer my whole life through that process. I was so pissed off because I had I was going to go home for three days, chill, regroup, get out of that environment. But instead, I had to go to the All-Star Game. Like, wh who does that? Like, who thinks that? 
So I take a, the last day of the All-Star break uh, for the first half of the season, I take a private flight home, private jet to my house. And the last day, most players go to the All-Star game. They fly to the All-Star city. The, the parade's amazing. The media day's amazing. Like all the, like, it's, they treat you like a king. It's insane what happens at the All-Star experience for the players. I fly home. And I said, I'm going to fly out tomorrow morning, and then I'll make the parade, I'll make the media day, and then I'll do all this. I didn't even want to be there. That's how messed up I was. So long story short, my plane flight got canceled because I had mechanical problems with the plane that I had reserved. So I was late. I missed the media day. I missed uh, the parade, all that stuff. And all the media is like, where's Willem Brand? And Major League Baseball said, oh, we don't know where he is. Nobody can even get a hold of him, and we're going to find him $25,000. That was just a cover up. They never did that. But so long story short, my private jet company sent me a jet, uh, this fastest civilian jet in the world, Citation 10 jet. And I book it to, to Detroit uh, the day of the home run derby. Uh, and I'm flying at 64,000 feet, going 640 miles an hour. Normal commercial airliner flies about 35, 40,000 feet, goes about 350, 400, 450 miles an hour. I'm flying at 64,000 feet, 640 miles an hour. Imagine yourself, pilot, co-pilot, yourself, multi-million dollar 10-passenger jet, flying to the All-Star game, your childhood dream because you achieved it and you earned it. I look out the window and guess what's going through my mind? I can't even see the ground, I'm so hot. What's going through my mind is, I freaking hate myself. Mm. I hate everything about this. I cut my parents out of my whole baseball career. I have to live with that. And this is, happens to so many players and so many people because of the story that they tell yourself. You have to identify your story and rewrite your story. I'm at the All-Star game. I have my entourage there. I have my friends on the field with me during the home run derby. I have my in-laws there. I have everybody there. I didn't even invite my own parents. And my parents are at the third deck of the stadium in Detroit watching the All-Star game. And they're telling the fans around them, the ushers, the security guards, that's my boy down there playing third base. And they're looking at him kind of like your dog looks at you, like, what? Like, why are you up here then? Right. They're like, we don't know. We just want to be here to support my son. All the while I'm on that field looking up saying, forget you, I freaking hate you. That's the story I was telling myself my father. And that couldn't be any further from the truth because when I discovered my story through this four-step process, I went through this timeline of my call to action to the pit part of my story, to my search, and then to uh, the breakthrough moment. And... The call to action of my story was when I was 14 years old and sitting on my bed, it was my dad walks into my room and he proceeds to tell me that he's uprooting our family from Southern California to Arizona. Mm -hmm. I instantly had a breakthrough in my life because I realized that my dad did that, moved the family to give me a chance to play baseball. And I sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, because I thought he moved me because he didn't like me and he didn't love me, he didn't care about me. My family wanted to stay in California. My family, my dad wanted to stay there. The whole family sacrificed for me, and I cut my parents out of my whole career. And I had a breakthrough at that point at 41 years old. I fell on my knees in my closet, and a million pounds of worthiness fell off my shoulders, and tears like Niagara Falls were running down my face because I was like, a simple understanding. When people don't realize a breakthrough doesn't happen in a week, a day, a month, a year, a breakthrough can happen in a moment in time with God putting his hand on it and an instant understanding of what's going on because when your mind understands something it makes a change and a difference mm -hmm. so that's why i do what i do and that's why i want to do that i want to share my voice i want to impact people i want to guide people i want to coach people and i want to inspire people because i have an obsession for people not to feel the pain that i went through it was horrible there's yeah. no lightness about it 
100% accountability for what I did. I did so many things that are wrong. I'd have players pull me in. Remember Greg Zong on the road in, in, in Chicago playing the White Sox, pull me into the side rooms, like, get your head out of your tail, dude. You're being a freaking retard. I'm like, what do you think you're doing, dude? Like, you're a backup catcher, dude. You're, you're doing, like, I couldn't even understand that. I had people fight for me and go for me, and I couldn't even respect my parents, mm-hmm. the people that loved me the most, the people that were there for me when no one else would be there, the right. people that I cut out my whole life. So always strive to identify and understand who you are. We're all made differently. We all tick differently. But understand that. Uh, you're not in this alone and I couldn't do what I'm doing now without my team and my wife for what I'm doing now is way greater than me because I don't like I don't I'm content I'm cool I found fulfillment I found happiness I'm able to be a good father now I'm able to be an amazing husband now I was horrible at both those before I've been able to apologize to my kids I've been able to apologize to my ex-wife I've been able to apologize to my parents like reconcile everything in my life with that simple understanding of who I am. And if there's anything I can do for anybody, any of your listeners, anybody, or anybody you come across with, like DM me, reach out to me, message me. I'll do everything I can to help out. That's awesome, man. That's, that's an incredible story. I think that's going to help out a lot of people. And, and when you're vulnerable enough to share it and tell it, it that other person that's listening is like, okay, like he, he went through that. I, I can trust you now. I can share this information with you. And what do you got for me? How, how can you help me? <laughs> so that's pretty cool. All I, all I got to say, man, is like a player would be, it would be nonsense for a player not to share with me because you can't, no one's done half the stuff I've done. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I rounded third base in Toronto and I said, put expletives to Brian Butterfield as I'm t- going through the stop sign. Like, like I've done so much stuff that it's insane. <laughs> like I'm, I'm in the process of, 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 of writing a book uh, because I'm finally at a place to be able to share because mm-hmm. I have a purpose now and not just to put something out just to do whatever. But yeah. like the stuff that I've done, like you, you can't, I've done it at all. I've done it like, yeah, I've done it. And there's nothing more that I want to do is just to try to try to shed some light on somebody to help them see who they truly are and stand in the fullest version of themselves to experience life to the fullest. And we think as baseball players that playing is, is, is where it's at. That's, that's dude, that can be further from the truth for me. Like yeah. I wasn't a baseball player. I'm grateful and I'm blessed to have the opportunity to create a platform and a name, but I'm not a baseball player. Like I had no clue how to field a ground ball. Zero clue. Zero <laughs> clue how to field a ground ball. I was a two-time all-star third baseman. I get routine ground balls and I do the, the process. I had a four-step process to field a ground ball. Read the ball for uh, read the ball for speed, location, and hop. Set up for the ground ball. Step two, right, left, pick it. Step three, pick up your target. Step four, throw. Read the ground ball. Set up for the set up for the ground ball. Right, left, pick it. Right, left, pick up. Like over and over and yeah. over and over <laughs> and over. And I like I would do it, and I'd throw the ball to first base. I'm like, and you know it would know, because on TV we got so much points. I'm like, sweet, I got another one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, can't wait, I can't wait to hit. So like I know it all. Like I've done it all. Like I hated playing defense. I like I hated being out there, but yeah. you just do it, man. And I'm just grateful, man. I'm super grateful. Well, that's awesome, dude. I, I appreciate you coming on board with us today. Make sure, are you on pretty much all the, you're on Facebook, Instagram? I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, all that stuff. But okay. hit me up on Facebook. I got a profile right now. Seven months seven months ago, I tried to convert my profile to a page. Uh, and, uh, Facebook's messed that all up, so I'm still in limbo with that. Okay. So uh, just, I'm always on Facebook and I'm always on Instagram. Uh, just hit me up, whatever it is, man. Uh, I would be honored to be able to help shed some light, especially on some players, because this ain't an easy road, bro. As you know, 
And uh, if we could bind together uh, as, 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 as brothers to be able to support these guys and yeah. kind of shed some light with the guidance of great intention, uh, there's no greater feeling. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, I wish you nothing but the best. Hope you kick some butt in real estate out there. I cover Phoenix as part of my area and territory. So we'll have to hook up and get some lunch sometime and, and keep talking. Love to. Love to, buddy. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, man. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a great day. Okay. Take care of yourself. Hey, what's up, guys? I want to thank you for listening to today's episode. You know, if you had any experience playing a sport while growing up, or even now, you know, have a kid playing a sport, you know how important the mental game is. You know, there are many that say it's at least 60% of their sport, and some will even say it's as high as about 90%. So if the consensus is it's at least 60% of your game, no matter what sport, what are you or what are your son, you know, your daughter doing to work on the mental game? I want to help you out or your athlete out. As I work with athletes at all different ages, they are all different as far as their engagement in a group setting or in one-on-ones. To help give athletes some options, I wanted to hit on doing mental training on their own time, one-on-ones, or even in a group setting. So I wanted to give you some options. My first option is my online course where I created over 40 videos where your athlete can watch learn, and go through these videos at their own pace. I would think and say that this is great for those athletes that don't want to be a part of a group setting or they have thoughts, you know, they don't want anyone to know that I'm actually working on my mental game. Now, these videos come in a yearly membership where they watch the videos, they have access to me through email during the duration of their membership, and they get a one one-on-one call per year. And this is a membership. It's $199 per year. So for more information on that, go to mentaledge.training. The second option is for those that really like engagement. I've been doing live weekly online calls where I pick a topic to coach on. I engage and ask questions with the athletes on how this applies to them. They take notes in their mental game journal and they work on that particular skill or the topic I give them for that week. Now, this option is a membership as well, and it's $13.99 a month. I also do get a lot of inquiries about one-on-one coaching as well as team coaching. I do do those as well. So you can email me at chad at mentaledge.coach for more details on that. But if you want more information on the links on these memberships I have, click on the show notes And that can give you all that information there on those websites. But I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast. I do want to make this better. I would love to hear any comments, any suggestions you have where I can make this podcast even better for you and to help you out. I also want to let you know that all these interviews on this podcast are also in video form on YouTube. And if you go search Mental Edge Training Coach, all these interviews will be there as well. So again, thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.